Hi guys, welcome back to episode three. Thank you for joining us today. Yes, welcome back everyone. And we just wanted to start off this week with a huge thank you. Yeah, we're really grateful for the fact that you guys have been listening and it does not go unseen at all. We're really, 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 you know, just touched to be honest that you guys have bothered. So thank you so much for getting involved. Yeah, I think the reaction was fairly overwhelming or at least I was overwhelmed by the reaction. We weren't expecting it at all. So yeah, just really thank you all so much and thanks for spending your time with us. Yeah, thank you guys for all of you who have subscribed and have rated so far. It honestly has meant a lot. And please don't forget that any and all feedback is always going to be appreciated by us because we just want to improve. So please keep that in mind. Okay, so I think with this week in particular, the elephant in the room is 100% the Michael Jackson documentary. Yes, it's definitely... The thing that's on everyone's lips, everyone is talking about it, everyone is tweeting about it. And we would be remiss as a pop culture podcast to not start with that documentary. So I guess a natural starting point would be, Laura, have you seen the documentary? Now, I am going to be honest and say that I haven't. And there's a couple of reasons as to why I haven't. But I suppose the biggest reason for me is that it is undeniably a very, very heavy and sensitive topic. And I never wanted to avoid it because I didn't want to kind of do what a lot of people can do and just turn a blind eye to it and be like no no doesn't concern me I don't need to watch this so I didn't watch it but I did research in depth the case around it in terms of the two guys who've come forward Wade and James I've looked into past allegations and kind of the case that was happening in the noughties I have done my research into this in general especially because we were kids when the massive court cases were happening. So it was, it's always been on my mind when it comes to Michael Jackson, but knowing that this was going to be four hours of a very intense, very dark subject matter, I personally couldn't bring myself to watch it. Okay. I think that's a fairly understandable choice to make. I have watched the documentary and it is all those things you describe it as it's hard. It's heavy. It's, graphic it's gruesome it's all these words it's it's not a nice watch it's not an enjoyable watch by any means it's a very well-made documentary hbo do not make cheap or kind of frivolous content so it is very well made but that doesn't mean that i enjoyed watching it and it is long as well it's four hours and it's not an enjoyable four hours but i'm glad that i watched it glad maybe is a strong word obviously but i'm No, I can understand why you'd say that, because especially having looked into it, I know that the director that they used, um, that he's he's been up for Baptist, like within the category of documentary making. He's made, I think, at least three other documentaries on a very similar subject matter of child abuse in this nature. And so at least the right person was employed for this. But I suppose this kind of a case of like, is there bias then because he's kind of used to this type of subject matter? Is, has he directed it down that lens? So when you watched it, did you find that it was kind of a very accusatory thing or that it was more expose? So when I was watching it, the one thing that it struck me as was that it wasn't so much of a character assessment of Michael Jackson, but more of the two men. So Wade Robson and James Safechuck. It's more focused on that. It's a movie about them. It's not really a movie about Jackson. Jackson is obviously a huge and pivotal fulcrum in that whole, you know, scenario. But it's not really 
focusing on whether he's guilty or not. If that's not what the documentary is looking to do, I don't think. I think its its aim is to convince you that these two boys were abused by Jackson, and its commitment to that agenda is unwavering. It will it doesn't stop, and it, that's it's such an intense watch because there isn't any grey area. It's very much a defined and concluded issue that this happened. So there is no grey area in the documentary, really. It's very much made its mind up on what it wants to tell you. Um, and in fairness to the director, they he acknowledged it in the interview with Oprah that he did with both James and Wade. It's acknowledged that it, this isn't a movie about Jackson. It's a movie about Wade and James. And that's why it can come across quite one-sided. Um, and so when I'm watching it, the overwhelming feeling that I'm feeling is sympathy for the two boys or men in this case at this time but it's when you start sort of take yourself out of the documentary that it, it, like my reaction to it, it then itself becomes more great that's i think very fair because so many people around us on, on social media have so many mixed views to this regardless as to whether they're a fan of him i think when it kind of comes to any of these type of stories when it comes to a survivor coming forward there's always going to be such a massive gray area because no one is ever going to truly know what happened because it's literally between two people because you can't emulate someone else's experience because you don't know exactly what has happened and you can only hear one side and the fact that michael jackson has passed you will never get the full story because regardless as to what he was going to say we would never know what it is he would say yeah exactly i think the documentary, just speaking per- like personally here, I guess it convinced me to a certain extent that these boys were abused by Jackson. So when you start to Google and like listen to other people's perspectives and other interviews, and maybe you get a bit more of Jackson's side of things, even though he isn't here to tell you himself, it becomes a lot less sharp of a documentary, if that makes any sense, if the wording is right. It becomes a lot more like my initial reaction kind of, was calmed a little bit and I thought okay so it isn't as definite as portrayed in the documentary yeah and I think that was always going to be the way outside outside of the world of the documentary because like for instance if you look at the backlash from his fans and from his family like they wanted this taken out of the Sundance Festival after the premiere because they were like like you can't you can't have this published and like broadcast to the wider world it's not fair because he's not here he can't speak for himself and then you also have to think of like, well, the impact that this now has on his kids is quite horrific, to be honest, because they're at an age where they can understand all of this. So everyone is going to want to put a spin on what they think happened, which isn't what you and I are doing here, though. We, I think our mission kind of in discussing this in the podcast isn't to tell people what our views are. Would you agree? Because I don't think that's what we want to do. I would agree. I think if I had... a so my opinion on the whole thing is that I just don't know. And that I, if I knew, like you said earlier, we there is really no way for me to know or for any of us to know. So I find it very hard because I know that the there is no answer. And maybe I'm being overly kind of empirical in that sense that I don't know the answer. And I know there isn't really an answer for me to know that how am I supposed to fall either side of the fence? What I will say is, I think it's an important discussion. It's raised. I think it's a really 
good documentary for people to watch. I think it's definitely changed how I view Michael Jackson. But I don't feel strongly enough on either side for me to force my opinion on anyone else. And I think that's really valuable to take from that because especially when it comes to something like this with such a serious case in terms of like when you think of child abuse or kind of any form of sexual abuse towards anyone. What I find most important about these type of cases is to educate yourself on both sides because it is so, so easy to shame either side of the conversation. So to be honest, I think unless you are definitively positive of facts or unless you are, you are shoved evidence from both sides that can really, really, really subject you to a very clear point of view as to what happened, you are better to kind of sit on the fence because it's not fair to make claims and to make allegations to slander someone. And that goes on both sides in terms of like, we cannot slander these two guys saying that they that this didn't happen to them because we cannot know just as well as we can't slander Michael Jackson saying he definitively did these harmful acts. Now, in fairness, I am more inclined to listen to the survivors of the abuse just because going again back to my research, things make sense, but it's not fair for me to just basically kind of go to towards defamation of character towards MJ and decide that he was this person because it's just it's not right to make a claim against someone like that when they can't defend themselves and that's my opinion on the matter anyway so would you so the the fact that he is obviously dead that is a kind of sticking point for you or am I reading that wrong I think it is and I feel maybe that is kind of short my short-sighted of me in terms of the fact that I'm saying like he can't defend himself so he can't we can't fully know but at the same time it, it it's undeniable in terms of without him being here we will never fully know because even if he didn't want to come on it publicly if he was alive he would have a publicist that would make some sort of statement like a statement would be made from a representative that would come from him as opposed to his family his kids people he's worked with um, people from like years ago that he's worked with other kids that he was around at the time who are now adults I think it's just it's very unfair to make a character assessment of someone without having all of the facts. Yeah, I would agree with that. What I would also like to say, though, is I think we've done this thing recently as a society where I think, well, not recently, it's always been a thing that you don't speak ill of the, Ill of the dead. Um, but for me, that isn't really something that I'm even remotely concerned with, not to trample on what you have said. But I kind of feel like if we are to believe these men, then they are still feeling the side effects of his abuse and his death doesn't undo his abuse it doesn't wipe that slate clean and it doesn't make it any easier for those men to cope with on a day-to-day basis so i i kind of feel like it's it's fair game you don't get to live your life however you like it and screw over whoever you want to and then when you you're dead we can't say anything about you that, that to me isn't a fair way of living it's not a fair way of judging people either we are all judged as part of human nature that we each judge each other and that's maybe a good thing or a bad thing but his death to me i understand in that he isn't here to give his side of the story and i'm very sympathetic i suppose and i can understand that argument but i also think that doesn't mean that these men can't come forward and can talk about their experience experiences with him when he was alive oh i completely agree with that and it's not that i'm at all saying that these men shouldn't have come forward and that this documentary shouldn't have been made. I think it's very important for it to have been made, particularly if you're going back the past few years with the Me Too movement being so prevalent now. I think it is so important to hear 
a survivor story. I more kind of mean it like I am saying it, I suppose, in Michael Jackson's case that I don't want to, it's not even speak ill of him. I don't want to kind of make a character assessment or decision about what he did without all the facts. But then at the same time, if you look back to another massive death in the past week that people are discussing, if you think of Karl Lagerfeld, like I definitely have very definitive views on that and kind of wouldn't feel really ill at ease to be speaking badly about him, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, and I would agree with in that specific case as well. I mean, I think I saw a lot of people on Twitter when he passed, you know, starting to critique him. And then you get the other side of Twitter comes alive and it's like, oh my God, you can't say that about him. He's just dead. But I think you don't live your life. Like, you know, it's, it's what I said before. I think Carl Arquette is clearly a very gifted and incredible designer, but that doesn't necessarily make him an incredible human being. Yes. And I think having watched the documentary, it's hugely changed my opinion of Michael Jackson and it's hugely changed how I view him as a person, but not necessarily as an artist. His art is undeniable. It's incredible. It, like He is a genius, an artistic genius, and his flawed personal life doesn't doesn't disregard that art that he created. He's still a revolutionary dancer, pop star. So I think in light of the documentary, it's definitely changed how I personally listen to Michael Jackson. And it has changed my opinion of him as a person, but it hasn't changed my opinion of his music. It maybe makes it harder for me to listen to his music, but it, his art is separate from him as a person. And sometimes that's a difficult thing to do, but it's impossible for me to just totally disregard all of his musical output in light of these allegations. I find that really interesting because I personally would agree with that to quite a huge extent in terms of you can't, I, well, I suppose my contradiction is that you can't really separate art from, from who the character was because even if we look at the R. Kelly case at the moment, I suppose this kind of helps me describe where it is I was coming from in terms of kind of having all the facts in terms of him being dead and how you can judge someone on this and kind of their character and what has happened and how this affects them professionally then because everyone is now like R. Kelly is completely cancelled after the documentary and now especially after his interview recently um, with Gail, her surname is escaping me, what's her surname? Gail King. Gail King, there we go. For instance, a lot of people are now saying he is cancelled because I suppose we are getting a lot more facts now because of for instance that interview which i suppose was the first public interview that he had discussing the allegations since he was been indicted and say for instance a lot of people aren't having that same reaction towards michael jackson being like oh his music has been cancelled and that was even the same thing back when you go back nearly 15 years to when the cases were very publicly happening in america when he had all of those allegations against him when it came to child abuse so it is interesting how some people are making allowances yeah, and definitely, I think, you know, his reputation, I think it's funny when we actually, to use it as like a kind of investigation of his reputation. For me, when I was growing up, when he was alive, like he was almost like a joke, you know, like I knew him more for the parody of Michael Jackson. So like, you know, I think we've all seen the episodes of South Park where, you know, he was, <laughs> that's the Michael Jackson that I knew, you know, the glove and 
the like the sunken nose and the pale skin and all that type of stuff. And then he died and it just switched off and it turned and it totally changed how he was viewed in our culture. He returned. He was like, it was funny because he died, but he kind of, his career was reborn. He returned to being the king of pop. He was eulogized. He was glamorized. He was all those words. And it was like, it's funny now because I guess this documentary could be seen as we're going back to, or not back to, but it's now a new kind of image of him that we're seeing now. Yeah, it's interesting, as you said, because it pretty much was that he had a second coming and when he died because everyone harped back to all of the positive aspects of him and kind of whitewashed any any negative aspects of his life and just kind of overlooked that quite 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 hugely to be honest so i suppose this documentary is incredibly important to be acknowledged because we do need to not fully disassociate artistry from who the human being was because it's not fair particularly to critique one artist or several artists for doing so and then to make allowances for others so i think for me what i'm taking from the documentary being so so poignant and so so popular at the moment for me is to just to learn from people's stories and learn from mistakes that we've done before in terms of just kind of letting things just get brushed under the rug because you can't do that like you have to educate yourself yeah definitely education is key and i think for almost 10 years from say 2009 until recently we were living with this like very idealized version of michael jackson all those court cases all that was kind of thrown out we weren't really talking about that. We were always just talking about the, his music. It's interesting to note that Drake has taken off his song, which samples Michael Jackson off the set list for his concert, his tours now. Like, so we were like, this is someone who was still very prevalent in the musical scene. And I think to just totally kind of dispute his artistic integrity is you're, you're, going, you're cutting out huge chunks of the last like, musical history in the last 30, 40 years when you do that. Yeah, definitely. But part of me feels not that it should happen because he was so influential. Like he's still such a huge influence today, but we can't hold some artists to a different standard. That for me is what's important to take from this. Yeah, I would agree. I just think again, it's, the, and I'm just in my personal life, I'm shocked at how many people don't think he, did abuse these kids i feel it's again it's a case of like people are just acting as if there's kind of this gauze that's kind of been held in front of them between the reality of the situation and their perception of the situation i think a lot of people are, are wanting to live in that gray area that we were talking about before because it's not so much easier to do so especially when something is such a very very hard topic to discuss because anything to do with child abuse is is sickening for anyone to discuss if, when you're being perfectly honest about it and then if it's someone that you admire and someone who can't speak for themselves the water gets muddy so fast then but it is shocking how few people either want to discuss it openly or who or how few people actually believe wade and james and again i think it's just it's such an important documentary that started this conversation which i think is a good thing and like that, maybe we're getting a less sanitized version of Michael Jackson and probably more than likely a more real version of him. But it's just, it's still crazy to me that when R. Kelly, like we were talking, 
when the R. Kelly documentary comes out, like widespread cancellation, basically. He was done. He was over. He was dead in this town. There was no room for, oh, well, you know, no, he is over with. And yet with Michael Jackson, and I don't know whether maybe because it's been such a long winded journey, you know, he's had the court case in 93 and numerous court cases after. Or maybe it's that we are not so shocked about these accusations and maybe that leads to like a more kind of dismissive attitude towards them. I don't know. But like at the end of the day, there was in the 90s a huge FBI investigation into Jackson and there was no evidence found and he was cleared of all suspicion basically until the later trial in the 2000s. So it's not a new thing. And maybe that's why people are reacting differently to it than the R. Kelly documentary. No, I think that that's actually a very fair point to make because that's not even something that I broached in my mind is the fact that we've probably just desensitized ourselves to this because it's not new. And I think what's really important to kind of assess here with the whole Me Too movement that's happened over the past few years and how prominent it's become is that even though it's not new, you, you can't devalue a person's story and you can't devalue a person's experience because especially with trauma, like it can take years and years to be able to open up about that. Like even when you look at the Harvey Weinstein, all of the allegations against him and all of the people who've come about, like it's taken some people tens of years to be able to discuss it. So I think for me, what I'm taking from this whole experience is regardless as to what my opinion is of Michael Jackson and of the two guys who've come forward, you just, you need to educate yourself. And I know I said that before earlier, but it's just so important to be able to look at both sides of the story before you can make any form of comment on it. And I feel that's what we have done today. We have educated ourselves. Wasn't for us to make a joke out of anything because I know that with pop pop culture and with entertainment, it's very easy to just kind of take a lighthearted note towards things. But with something as big as this and with an, like with an issue as important as this, I just wanted to give as many facts to others who don't have them as possible. And I think guys, whether you know them or not, and whether you've watched the documentary or not, that's all grand, but you just, you have to, you have to be open to hearing both sides of a story and not even just with Michael Jackson case, with any case, especially when it comes to any survivor who's been brave enough to discuss what's happened to them. It is so important to listen. I'd also like to say, just as a quick parting note, we glossed over the Gail King interview with Or Kelly, but like what a woman Gail King is. She did so well. She maintained her calmness and serenity in a fairly intense and aggressive situation. And she sat there and let a grown man make a fool of himself. And I think she should be congratulated for how she carried herself in that interview. She was brilliant, to be honest. Her composure was honestly... It was so admirable because he went from zero to 60. So like it was a mad turnaround. He, he, he started, I won't even, I don't even want to say he was composed himself in the beginning because he just, he was contained, I suppose is the best way to kind of put it because he just kind of seemed to have this mask on. But the more she, she kind of was, the more she kind of went at him to kind of find out the actual answers because God knows he skirted around so many of her questions. That mask slipped and he cracked. Yeah, he definitely cracked. The, ma- the mask is on the floor. It is gone. I'd say his publicist is fuming. I'd say his publicist is gone out the door. 
there's no recovery after that. Like he's highlighted the fact that all of his allegations must be true because he is unhinged. Yeah, he does not come across well in that interview at all. And yet again, just to call attention to whatever positives we can take out of that whole situation, Gail King did incredible and she just sat there and let him discredit himself. Yeah, undeniably. Like they really did well choosing the right person for that interview because she she was a class act, to be honest. And I found the interview quite difficult to watch because of just from what he was saying and then also just from the way he was acting. So thank you, Gail King, for being the star of that interview. So I think we will all agree that was a fairly intense discussion and we are all in dire need of a little quiet moment and a deep breath. So that's exactly what we're going to do. And when we come back, we will be discussing all of this week's more lighthearted entertainment news. Okay, so we've discussed a fair few heavy duty things this evening, but... I want to kind of pick it up a little bit. I want to go for something that's hopefully going to be like everyone's cup of tea because it really should be because it's one of the best shows in the world. Let's talk about the Game of Thrones trailer. Oh, let's. Okay, because I have many predictions for the final season and I have been waiting for this for so long. Like, it's what, been nearly two years now? Yes, nearly two years. And I feel like these last couple of months, like we know there's going to be a trailer, like there's always a trailer. Well, these last couple of months have just dragged. It was like every week I was expecting like, oh, could it be this week? Could it be that week? And instead we were kind of getting like tidbits or like character posters or whatever. So I'm very happy the trailer's out and a great trailer. Oh, it's a great trailer. Like it, it definitely, because in fairness, like we kind of knew what to expect because there's only very few things that they could have put into the trailer that wouldn't have spoiled like really big plot points, if you get me. But there's still a couple of things in there. Like I have a couple of predictions from the trailer alone. I have a couple of assumptions for the actual season. Did you pick up on anything in the trailer? Because I picked up on like a Jamie plot point. But have you like picked up on anything? Have you put any feelers out there? I suppose my overriding reaction to that trailer was, I was it just hyped me up. The one thing I've looked up some videos of people like dissecting things and I don't, a lot of times I find that they don't really come to fruition. I think the Jamie thing that you're probably referring to, you know, that's a fairly safe bet. Um, the one thing that I saw was someone saying that when they're on the wall, the soldiers are wearing this kind of like mashup of the Targaryen and Stark symbols. And that could be really interesting. That could be cool. That could be cool, right? But other than that, I was just like, oh, it's just like, what a show. And it's bittersweet because... You know, I want to know how it ends, but then you simultaneously don't really want it to end. It is probably for me one of my favorite TV shows that I've watched in years because you've always wanted to watch more in terms of there's because there's so much going on, but not in, to an extent where you're where you're kind of like, wait, hold on, what's happening? You want to keep up with all the different storylines because you know that when they do tie together, it was so geniusly written that you're like, oh my god, I never saw this happening, and then it happens yeah like it's like one of the best made tv shows of all time i think undeniably so i saw um i think it was in the hollywood reporter that the, there's apparently this big battle scene in episode three and it is going to be the biggest battle scene in both film and television history so bigger than all those lord of the rings movies all of that jazz this is like the biggest and longest battle scene 
that we'll ever have seen on TV. On, well, and movies, so visual media, I guess. Which is kind of iconic to think, because to be honest, all of the other major battle scenes that they've done the past three seasons have still been incredible and huge, and the CGI has been amazing. But even when you look at some of the scenes that they did in past episodes, which were not CGI and that they actually did real live shooting for, you're kind of like, how can you up this? So I'm really excited for that. Yeah, I can't wait. I feel like the battle scenes are always something that I look forward to. So this huge, like, final kind of send off. Yeah, I'm really excited. But so anyway, like, hit me with some of your predictions. Like, what are you thinking? Okay, so prediction from the trailer alone. There's the scene. Well, when I say scene, there's this snippet that's maybe two thirds into the trailer. And Jamie is standing there and he's dirty and he's kind of looking very intense. And he said, I promise to fight for the living. So I feel at this stage, because of the way how he's speaking and because of what he said, I feel that he's now swapped sides and that he's either talking to John or talking to um, Danny. And I say this because anytime he's ever looking at Cersei, it's always so serious and so dour. And so I feel he swapped sides. Uh, yeah, I think that's a fairly plausible turn of events. I also think he could be possibly talking to Cersei in the sense that he might be telling her I've before this might be before he rides north and he's telling her, you know, I've chosen to fight for the living. So that could be a possible, you know, little slight difference, I guess, to your turn of events, but still interesting. We want to see Jamie up in the north and fighting with everyone else. I do think, however, I've also seen that I'm sorry, we're being very spoiler cast. You know those podcasts where like people like spoil tv shows like that's us now we're like we are everything that you ever need but i've seen people say that in the trailer cersei is drinking and this confirms that she miscarries her baby or her you know that whole plot point and i've seen people maybe suggest that jamie dies and that's why she turns to alcohol and then thus killing the baby and these are all like crazy spoilers but like there's just so much that still has to happen. I don't know. I've seen that the episode lengths are like they each progressively get longer. I think they get up to like maybe over an hour and oh, I think 10 minutes maybe. For, like an hour and a half is what I heard from last season. But oh, wow. even going back to the alcohol thing really quickly, I feel like seriously, like I know that she literally is a doting mother and that pretty much her children and her love for them were her like her only redeeming character trait. I feel at this stage, she is so messed up that she would not care if she drank when she was pregnant. Yeah, I suppose. And when you like... In the last season, they brought the white to her. She's probably like, fuck this world. Like, do I want to even be here? But then I think that's what drives her. I think she'd be happy ruling a pile of ashes as long as she's the one left. That is very true. And I can see that. And to be honest, she might be because if they don't get their acts together, they're all out of here. Mm -hmm. So my personal assumption and prediction for it is, and I said this to a couple of people, back when season seven capped off and this is how i think it's going to end now could not might not who knows i think it would be a good ending personally i think what's going to happen is so we're going to just presume that danny's pregnant because let's be real that's obviously where they were going with that it was like with that with that scene of them having sex like she's going to be pregnant at some stage she's going to find out so i think what will happen is i think in like the last episode or something danny is going to die she's gonna get killed somehow and everyone's gonna be so up in arms about it no one's gonna be happy no one in the show no one off the show is gonna be happy about it but i think they're gonna do it because i feel that 
everyone feels so secure that Danny will survive because she's had such a like tumultuous journey that she could have died at any other point and she didn't. But I think they're going to kill her off at the end. And everyone's going to want John to be king. But John never wanted to be king. And I feel like he's actually going to set up like this democratic government instead that every place of the world has their own governing body or even just one singular person and that they'll make up this parliament of people and that's how they're going to end it and that's kind of when this idea of like democracy will be formed and that's my idea okay i kind of love that other than danny's my favorite she's my bae i wow like what a woman um so i would love for her to live but i if if i suppose like where does that if she survives where does it leave that world i don't really know exactly at least when you kill her there's a there's still a progression there and i don't think you can't have a democracy with danny because she's like a benevolent a benevolent ruler but still a ruler and she wants to rule and Mm. she thinks that she's been born to rule so i don't think democracy is her kind of vibe no definitely not and i think she does kind of have that touch of madness in her now and when I say madness, I think it's kind of she now has a side of cruelty to her that she never had before. So I think that's why she would never want to ever like loosen the reins on her rule. That's why I think that she will probably die because especially I'm kind I'm, I'm trying to think past like if she was queen, like what what's going to happen after that? You know, like so Cersei, Cersei will be dead. Everyone everyone's just expected to bend the knee to Danny, and then everyone lives happily ever after. Like that just doesn't seem plausible to me. That's why I think it's going to go for a more rounded experience of John will be like, nope, no thanks. I'm out. I just want to live in my nice stately home. Maybe a battle here and there. Maybe I'll <laughs> become like a forest man. Who knows? And I think he's going to like set up this parliament of people. Well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see, Laura. So Game of Thrones season eight premieres on April 14th. And I think we'll probably leave the Game of Thrones talk for now and maybe until that time, just because we're probably going to want to talk about it quite a bit when it actually happens. So we don't want to overwhelm anyone. And I, I am aware that like not everyone watches it, even though, I mean, what have you been doing for the last six years? Yeah, exactly. Like I won't jump the gun and discuss it as much as I want to, because let's be honest, I could talk about it any day, every day, because I'm a big fan of the show. But I have my countdown on my phone ready to go ready for april 14th same so i guess we can move on and the other topic that everyone is talking about this week is that the electric picnic lineup was announced okay i don't know about you but i'm like this is the lineup of me this is three of the four headliners are so i've seen two of them live two of the best like two out of my top five concerts i've ever been to ever and so that would be hosier and florence like the fairy king and queen come on they are that's what they're known as mm-hmm. now, they aren't like rulers of the fairy world i don't know like legitimately not just like stan world and then the 1975 i missed out on when they came here in january so i need to see them it has to be done yeah i'm really happy with the lineup as well billy eilish for me i was like <gasps> love her we love her and I was waiting for a solo tour and then we were waiting for an Irish date and that just never came to fruition. She's just ignoring our fair green isle. I mean, whatever. But she's coming in the summer and if, I don't like festivals. I don't like them. I think they're dirty. They're 
like I just no like I just can't I'm the type of person I could glamp like that would be my vibe I could go glamping that would be very Alex but like not in a tent that I bought from Little for 45 euro and like drinking druids like that's not my vibe but to see Billie Eilish to see Florence to see the 1975 I might do it I'm not going to make any promises because I know I'm a flight risk but it's to me it's a really good lineup (laughs) flight risk oh my goodness See, it is a very good lineup. And even when you look at, say, I don't want to say the smaller acts because I find that that isn't fair. But when you look at the acts that aren't headlining, there's still some amazing acts peppered in there as well. Like, who else was there on my list that I really wanted to see? Like, George is coming. Weren't you saying how much you loved her? Oh my God, we love George Smith. Exactly. Yeah, amazing. And then there's just, there's a few other people just kind of thrown in there for like, just what I think would be a brilliant, brilliant weekend. Years and years, another uh, act I would love to see, Jess Glynn. Well, <laughs> people hate on poor Jess Glynn. And... I don't understand it. I think she has a lovely voice. <laughs> Her voice, it's sort of, it's sort of like she's singing through her nose or something. I get why it's annoying, but I also think, for anyone who knows me, I used to do the same where I used to do 11 out of 10s, and 11 out of 10s are like, just like genre-breaking songs. And by genre breaking, I mean, like, it's pop music that I'm referring to. But for me, Don't Be So Hard On Yourself is right up there. It's probably not an 11 out of 10, but it's definitely a 10. And I think she gets a hard time. I get why she's hugely overexposed. And like I said, her voice can kind of verge on annoying. But there's this, like, veracity to people's hatred for that woman that I just don't understand. Like, ain't that Ed Sheeran? Like, he deserves it. Sorry, not (gasps) to be whatever. Oh, sorry, but I just want to quickly remind everyone of the worst point in all of Game of Thrones history when they had Ed Sheeran <laughs> sit at that campfire and sing that fucking song. I forgot about that and I saw it on Twitter. And I thought you've like it that almost ruined that joke for me. Oh it almost God. did. I mean, I'm a big fan of Ed. I've seen him in concert, I think, twice now and I will say I'm not a fan of his newest album and we've completely done a roundabout off topic here. So I'm just, I'm <laughs> bit, bit, <laughs> poor Ed. All I'm going to say is it wasn't his finest moment and he was pretty much coerced into it. And that's all I can say for the poor man. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I, I, I feel like I haven't slandered Ed at all on the podcast yet. And you know, when his new album comes out, that will be a regular thing for me that I just, I, I don't know. I just, I find it kind of, enjoyable because he's so popular and he's so well liked and he's so perfect i just like to play devil's advocate a little bit you know also you're not big into the l acoustic guitar vibe that is very much my vibe i enjoy that you do not no i don't he does he i was a fan of the first album sorry we're really going off topic here we are fan of the first album and i don't mind some of the like more like poppier stuff it's the other side of things that I find to be like really boring, generic and kind of cliched at this point that I'm, I just can't be on board with. I get that. And strokes for folks, man, is all I'll say. And the main reason I'm saying that is I'm trying to segue us back into Electric Picnic because we need to discuss the fact that some people are absolutely just outraged with the lineup. Yeah, outraged. We well, see what happened was I always find it a strange thing that people jump on these tickets so early but they release tickets before the lineup is announced so people have their tickets and people come at it with like look you're never going to please everybody that's not 
possible probably for the most part but the idea for me of buying and spending like 250 euro on a you know 3-day ticket on a festival that you don't know who's playing at is bizarre and that's what i think we're seeing now but i don't think had the tickets gone on sale on friday say that this friday after the announcement you don't have the same type of reaction but this is a reaction from people who have paid money and aren't happy with the lineup and i can understand that you know if you've bought your tickets expecting to see you know like uh, the one thing i think that that lineup is missing is it doesn't have very much rap or like urban music on there and if you're you've bought your ticket expecting that you are going to be left disappointed like Florence and the Machine isn't giving you that I know and I suppose the funny thing is so I was looking into the stats of it and this is the first time that EP has ever sold out within 15 minutes of its release date and so that's kind of pretty spectacular but you kind of would expect that that's kind of going from reputation of a good festival so even if the headliners out of the four if they're not your biggest cup of tea you are still going to have a very good weekend nonetheless I would agree if you are into festivals, which I, I guess anyone who's bought a ticket, can, you know, you would assume they are. I think for me, it's a great lineup. Yes. But I can also recognize that my taste isn't everyone's taste and, you know, to each their own, like you said. So I'm okay for people being a little bit peeved. But I mean, Longitude is right there. If you're not getting what you want from Electric Picnic, Longitude is there. Exactly. Like I have to say, kind of basing it off now, I only was really looking into the lineups of Longitude all together now and Electric Picnic. And the three of them have three very diverse lineups for all three festivals. Like they're very different in terms of each festival has its own kind of two to three genres that it's really, really, really honing in on. So I know a lot of people are giving out about EP, but the same thing did happen for Longitude as well. And I think not really many people are doing the same to all together now because it's only its second year. But people just need to relax the cacks because, you know, you're just, you, you've signed yourself up for a good weekend and you don't throw away your money within the first 15 minutes of the thing going on sale unless you are just willing to just go with the flow and enjoy the music that weekend. For people who have already bought their tickets to give out, I'm kind of like, you've kind of set yourself up to fail. You, you kind of have, I would agree. I think um, it's similar in um, the gaming world where you know, people pre-order games and then the game gets released and the game is crap and you're kind of going, I spent 70 euro on this and that's right. I think it's a testament to maybe don't buy your ticket before you know the lineup. Exactly. And if anyone doesn't want their ticket anymore, I will gladly take it because don't mind Alex, I don't need to glamp. You literally just have to give me a bin bag and a yoga mat and I will camp out and I'll be happy. That is repulsive, but... cool you will not catch me i actually feel okay but yeah i mean great great times ahead for everyone going to electric picnic great times for everyone going to longitude they will be good weekends and if that's your type of thing you know more power to you i just think the lineup would have had to be insane for me to even consider it and in my opinion i kind of am so well done electric picnic well done, Electric Picnic. I'm excited. A lot of other people are excited. So to all you negative Nancys out there who are giving out about Florence the Machine, I'm talking about that one person on Twitter who said Florence and her shit machine. I'm talking to you. <laughs> I hope that if I don't get to go to the festival, that it rains on you. Otherwise, can't wait. Sorry, I, the Florence hate, I'm like, whoa. Like, Do people not remember 
oxygen. I don't know, have you seen the videos of her at oxygen when she performed oxygen in the pouring rain? It is literally one of the most magical live performances I've ever seen. Like she already kind of exudes this kind of fairy woodland exactly she's a queen we love the fairy queen yeah so she already exudes that energy and like it's literally pouring down she does cosmic love it's magical so you will be like her voice even just uh, her voice alone is like it it's so huge that you'll be entertained by it so i really wouldn't be worried all i'll say is that if herself and hosier do some form of duet over that weekend and i'm not there to see it i will cry because I went to see Mumford and Sons last year at Longitude and I was so binned and I'm so mad at myself for getting so flutered that I didn't even realise that Hosier was on stage with Mumford and Sons. Okay, sorry. What does, fl- well, I don't know what flutered is. I've never <gasps> heard that word before. Oh my God. Okay, so flute. Okay, I've heard other people use this term so I'm going to claim that I have not made it up and if people want to say I've made it up, I'm okay with that because, you know, just creative genius and all that. Flutered means to be like really, really drunk. And it's taken from, at least I think in the Irish context, from the character Fluter from one of Sean O'Casey's plays. I'm pretty sure that it's from. Um, oh goodness, which of the plays? Come on, I was a drama student. I should know this. Anyway, it was from one of his plays and Fluter is a, a drunken man within one of the plays. So when you're flutered, you're drunk. Fun facts for everyone involved. Okay, well, I was not expecting that, like, you know, explanation, but I'm happy I asked. I'm not going to use that word though. Plow on the stars. Sorry, guys. I've I've just it's taken me a while, but yeah, plow on the stars. That's where Fluter comes in. Just so we all know. Just so we're all aware. Oh, I actually did that, but I don't remember that. Well, look, we've learned something new today. Some of us. We've have. all learned something new. We've all learned something new. We have. I think, to be honest, now Al, I feel we've gone we've gotten a bit tangential because we've gotten too excited. Mm-hmm. So I think it might be time for us to cap it off. I think it is time for us to bid farewell. I think I can feel myself getting, like, losing my filter a little bit. You know, poor Ed Sheeran. For no reason. He isn't even supposed to be in this podcast. Ed. He was not, guys, he was not on the agenda. So Alex literally just came for him for nothing. It's just, it's such a natural thing for me to do. But I apologise, Ed, like, friend of the podcast, Ed Sheeran. I'm, I'm so sorry. But, um, yeah, I think we are better off before I say something truly hurtful. And unforgivable. That could also impact our friendship as well as Ed's professional career. I think it's time. Yes, yes, I think it's time. Okay, so guys, thank you so much for listening to us this week. You know where to find us now. Yes, you know where to find us. Is this thing on? We are working on a Spotify link. As far as we're aware, it should be up soon. So all you Android users out there who are hounding us, you know, I forgot Android was a thing, but it's happening. It's coming. But until then... You can find us on iTunes, obviously, and we're on all your major Android podcast apps, so Stitcher, Breaker, Pocket Casts, all of them. If you just look up, is this thing on? We'll be right there. So when you find us, make sure you subscribe, make sure you rate us, and we'll see you all next week. Exactly, guys. We will see you every and any Friday without fail now. We are all geared up. We are all set up. We are good to go. You'll find us on Twitter as well at ITTO podcast, just in case you ever want to tweet us with some suggestions about things you want to hear. And please, as I said at the start, feel free to get in contact with us if you ever have feedback. But thank you so much for listening.